What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Diamond Talk. And look, this episode's all about hate, right? We hate relievers, right? We, we, we got to talk about them, though. Coming in crazy right? from the start. You can't come insane with this kind of stuff. Like, we, we purposely said we're going to talk about the free agents this episode because nobody wants to talk about those relievers, right? Like, like let's, just, let's just face the facts, right? Yes, we're going to talk about them, right? It's kind of our job. We got we, we to gotta do it. I don't think anyone here is excited for it. I don't think Nick's even excited. Nick, Nick's like the pitch guy. And he, no, he, he no, 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 no. Let's just let's quit talking about the build-up and just get into it and get over with. <laughs> All right, yo, Nick, Rob, how you guys doing? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. We had to, you know, we had to take a little break, but you know, with those little breaks, it, it gives a lot of time for things to happen, and a lot of things did happen, and we're gonna dive into them in this episode for sure. Yeah, that little break was nice because we get to talk about it all at once instead of re-reacting and talking about what we talked about last week because we're more pissed about that one, uh, a.k.a. Carlos Correa to the Twins. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, I'm ready to go. I, I don't really want to talk about all the individual relief pitchers, so we decided to do a group effort because it was going to be Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader, and then why are we talking about anybody else besides the Rays bullpen? So we get to talk about a few more, bring up some different teams, uh, maybe some surprises on this top five list. No bigger surprise than the fact that we're still talking about relievers. Let's get to the fun stuff, man. Let's talk about the free agents. I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about anything else. So let's start there, man. Crazy, crazy couple of weeks since last time you heard us, or you heard us on Monday. Crazy couple of weeks since last time we met here, and you know, like we mentioned, Carlos Correa has a new home. Freddie Freeman has a new home after some crazy Matt Olson maneuvering. Uh, who else has has come out with a new place? A lot of maneuvering. It's been Jorge Soler found home in Miami, right? So we've had some some people jumping around team to team. We got to start with Carlos Correa, though. Not only is that the most surprising signing of the year, but it's also one of those head scratching. And then we'll get into it a little bit. But Carlos Correa signs with the Minnesota Twins. Was it four? I mean, it was three years, 105? No. What were the final numbers on that one, Rob? It was something like 35 uh, a year or something. 36 and a half a year for three years, yeah. but he's got an opt-out after every single year. Wasn't it there like 105? Go. It was 105.3 or something like that. It, 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 I think it was. I am bad with numbers, so do not ask me, but y'all can Google it. Uh, point is, though, um, like Nick mentioned, the interesting part about this is that he has an opt-out after each season, which if you're Minnesota, that screams positive, right? Um. <laughs> Rumors are, or probably the real reason why it was, um, throughout this process, Carlos Correa fired his agent and became Scott Borch's agent. So whatever um, percentage of money would go to his agent, that would go to his original agent, not just Scott Boris. So a lot of people think that the reason why he signed this deal is so that he can kind of get out of that and then renegotiate with Scott Boris and, and get more money. I think he's out of his mind. I think this is probably as good of a deal as he gets in his career. But yo, Nick, I'll start with you, buddy. What's been your favorite free agent signing? Again, we, we've had we've had a few here, right? You can start with Korea if you want to, but you know, this offseason, man, just gets crazier. Favorite free agent signing, as much as I hate to say, it, is Freddie Freeman to the Braves because that just made the most sense, uh, or not to the Braves, sorry, to the Dodgers. That just made the most sense. Um, I don't want him going to the Dodgers. I like them as a player. I don't want to like a Dodger. It's just not what I want to do. But it made the most sense. The Dodgers needed to do it because they needed to get that big bat in there. Um, their pitching staff is not as good as everybody thinks. It's definitely a lot lower than it has been, particularly the starting staff. So getting a guy like Freddie Freeman, I mean, to put a recent MVP, a great clubhouse guy in that already good clubhouse, 
I mean, it's just going to be a turned up night every single night. Him and Mookie Betts. I mean, you got Mookie Betts patrolling the outfield, leading everybody out there. You got Freddie Freeman leading the infield. And that's if he doesn't take a backseat to his ginger brother, Mr. Uh, Justin Turner, over the third base. I know that's going to be a great literal hot corners over there in, in Tinseltown. James Fleming is going to be like, oh, those are my brothers out there, all the redheads. So, um, I mean, it's just that was my favorite one because it just made the most sense. I also am excited to see what he does in L.A. He had a great lineup in Atlanta. He's going to have a great lineup around him in L.A. Um, so that's my favorite one of the offseason. As far as the uh, the Carlos Correa one, man, that that's, the Twins keep twinning. And, you know, we talk about the Mets metting, and they're just going to keep going. Let's be real here. The Twins are doing the exact same thing they do every year. They have nine of the most incredible bats in the everyday starting lineup. And then as soon as you go to the bench, uh, I don't know if everybody remembers D Gordon, but his brother is literally the number one guy off the bench for the Twins. And he's not that good. He's a better rapper than he's a baseball player. He's not that good of a rapper. So, you know, like this is just like they don't have a bench. They're not going to win. This formula is not going to get them in the playoffs. And if they do make the playoffs, they're going to lose to the Yankees again. Um, their starting staff is better than I thought it would be with the moves that they've made since last year. But it's still, I mean, you've got Dylan Bundy, who's two or three years removed from having any sort of real success as your number two guy. Um, I don't see what this is for the Twins. I don't. I don't understand why they would do this unless they're literally hoping he has a great year and he decides to leave and not them have to cut ties. Because if he gets hurt, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to get 36.1 a year again if he gets hurt. If he has a bad year, he's not going to get that. So I was really surprised on this one from the Twins aspect, from Carlos's aspect. I mean, he gets an opt-out every year. If he sucks, he gets paid 36.1. If he does great, he just gets out without a shortstop class of five or six or seven deep. He's got all the pull in the world in this contract. And I think this is Scott Boris talking Carlos Correa into signing something short and not long-term. I don't think this is Carlos Correa trying to renegotiate a contract. Because uh, like you said, Boris taking over, put a whole new dynamic on his free agency this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I think this definitely was a um, – this was not made by Carlos Correa. I think if you ask Carlos Correa, he probably wanted that $280, $300 million contract, which – Look, I was on record on saying from the beginning, there's no way I thought he was going to get a $300 million contract. Right. I'm not going to say that, that. This, Yeah, I'm not going to say this contract proves that because it definitely doesn't. If you look at the AAV, it's the highest among, amongst any um, position players right now. So, you know, he's getting paid. He, he is getting paid. The difference between MLB getting paid and other sports getting paid is that MLB, these contracts are guaranteed. So if you get that $10 million contract, you can be but your last five years and we've seen it with guys like Miguel Cabrera. We've seen it with guys like Albert Pujols, right? And those back years is kind of just like, you know, we expected this. But in order to get those, we needed to, you know, overpay you for those first five years. You know, Carlos Correa is in an interesting position. I don't know if he does – you know, Rob talked about this last episode. Carlos Correa had probably the best season he's had in his career. And it wasn't even really that good. Like, like yes, he was an MVP consideration. But – if you're telling me that's my best season from a guy who got drafted number one overall who has all this hype behind him, I don't know. I don't know if he gets better than that, right? And he's a guy who had some um, injury history, stuff like that. Rob, I'll, I'll go to you, bro, because I know you have some um, – he's on your Puerto Rican phone line. You guys just hit each other up and give each other contract advice and stuff like that. Were you the one that told him to sign this three-year deal? Nah, I, def I definitely was not. I think, I think there's there has to be truth behind the Scott Boris thing. Um, as we saw, we talked about it a little bit in the group. It, it was talked about on the Michael K show as well. They, they, 
the thing that everyone has been getting hit up on, you know, like the reporters have been hearing about everything is that because of that situation, Correa's original agency needed to, was going to get a majority percentage of whatever deal he signed, which again, for someone like Scott Boris, we know Scott Boris likes his money. We like Scott, Bo- we know the type of, of contracts that Scott Boris usually gets for his elite, you know, free agents. That, that are with him, I think when we saw Correa jump, to, jump over to Boris, we were kind of all expecting like that 10-year, $350 million deal was locked in, right? Like, because that's what you expect a Boris contract to be. And I still think that potentially is on the table long-term, but because Boris needs to be the one to get a majority of the cut, he had to make Correa sign a short-term deal. This is definitely coming from Boris for sure. But, but again, he made sure to lock him up with, with that 35.1 AAV. If, like you guys said, if he gets hurt, yeah, he's not going to opt out of it. Uh, the thing with Correa for me is the reason why I, w- I, the reason why I don't like the Correa signing, it's, there, there's one that has to do with baseball, and there's another one that has to do personally as a Yankee fan, right? So let me get the Yankee fan one out of the way first. And then I'm going to go to like the real reason why Correa signing with the Twins is kind of like a question for me, right? On the Yankee side of things, it's like, yo, that was the perfect contract, right? Like we've talked about it before. If, if, the, Yan- if the Yankees really wanted to sign Correa to a short-term deal, right? I'd be willing to give Correa $35 million a season on a four-year deal or something like that, right? It's not a long-term commitment. It's not a long-term commitment. If it's a short-term commitment, I'm willing to do the Correa deal any day of the week. And then we saw the other elements that went into it in which the Yankees essentially helped the Twins pull off the Correa deal because they took on Donaldson's salary in in the trade. Even though, you know, we know based on on their comments and things like that, the main target of that trade was uh, Connor Falefa to play shortstop, right? They had to take on Donaldson's money. And yeah, Donaldson becomes the everyday third baseman in New York. We'll see how he does this year for them, right? Yeah, but, but you're right. The Yankees are paying for Carlos Correa's salary this year. In yeah, sense. yeah, right. Like it, it, that. That's why. That's why it's problematic for me because I'm like, I'm like, then why didn't you? Like you can look. You can make the argument that like yes, they oh they package Gary away, right? And I think they were definitely looking to get rid of of Gary more than they were to uh to get rid of Gio Urshela, for example. But I mean damn like like Correa then Correa was not that hard to get like at least on at least on this term if this was the route that Boris was headed right because he wanted a majority a majority of the cut like it 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 was a good it was a good way to get Correa right so I'm kind of upset that we didn't get Correa on a short-term deal but if we're just going to talk strictly about Correa as a player go can and so look one of you might have a reason right I have not been able to think of one how does going to Minnesota help him lock in a long-term deal? Because I'm not, look, I'm not going to lie. You just said it. And I said it in episodes before, right? He just put up what was his best season, right? And it wasn't anything out of this world, right? We know that Carlos Correa adds to his value as a player through postseason performance. You're not going to the postseason in Minnesota. You're just not. I'm sorry. You're just not. You're not. That Minnesota Twins team is not taking is not overtaking the Chicago White Sox. It's not happening. Sorry. Like so. So then he loses a part of that potential value buildup, which means that then you have to go crazy in Minnesota. 
Like you have to put up like like Carlos Correa, if he wants to lock in that long term deal, not only does he have to replicate what he just did in Houston this past year, but yo, he probably has to add 10 more home runs to that total because we know we know how 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 home run friendly, you know, these Minnesota Twins teams usually are, right? He probably has to add 10 more home runs to that total. He definitely has to increase his RBI total. You're the you're the face. You're you're now the face of the Minnesota Twins. You are the face of the Minnesota Twins for this season, right? Even though I have my hypotheticals that they'll probably if they're smart, they move him at the deadline. Right? If we're all being realistic, if Minnesota is smart, if Carlos Correa is off to a hot start, you flip him at the deadline, man. You get as many prospects as you can from anyone who's willing to take on, you know, what that half season of Correa or whatever. Because if he's on fire for the year, he's opting out. That's just the reality of it. If he's on fire, he's opting out. But I don't think going to Minnesota helps his va- his value as a as a player. I, I just really don't think it does. Like the amount of work that he's going to have to put into his season is going to be incredible. Unlike the unlike these these seasons where he's had these these kind of loaded lineups around them in Houston. Yo, I'll be honest with you. I love the signing. As a Yankee fan, I love the signing. Right? Because we were... Here's the other side of it. Here's the other side of it. Look, Yankees were in a position where they were kind of locked into Correa talk, but it was everyone else telling the Yankees, oh, you guys have to get Correa. I've always been a fan of not signing Correa. I never wanted this dude. I think he's a bad clubhouse guy. Granted, look, he was in the Astros. They have a great, talented roster. They won a World Series, asterisk-ly with him on it, right? But I don't like Carlos Correa. I, I I don't like him as a locker room guy. I think he's an idiot. To be honest with you, I think he's like a real-life idiot when he talks. Like, he just sounds really dumb. Why don't, why don't you like him as a locker room guy? I don't know. I, like, like, Why don't you like him as a locker room guy? Okay. I haven't seen anything where I'm like, yes, Correa is that guy. Like, I think, honestly, guys like Altuve balance him out, right? Guys that were better than him. So here's what I would say with that. Is go for it. Yeah. So with the with the locker room side of it, like he has been the villain on the Astros. Like I think he actually is a good locker room guy because nobody's throwing him under the bus. Everybody seems to have his back, and he's the one going with these outlandish comments, almost like he's talking out for the team, and nobody's like putting him under. That's not true. So that's that's not completely true. I remember back the year after the after the scandal came out, right? That first spring training, they um MLB Network or whoever literally went to, to College Korea and College Korea started spewing off a bunch of bullshit about the Altuve tattoo and all this stuff and he was really defensive about it. I didn't see anybody else in that Astros locker room do anything about it. And and if you if, if you're saying that they were sticking by him by not coming out and saying anything else, then sure that that's one way to look at about at it. My my thing from the signing perspective though is look, with College Korea, we know that, you know, he is talented. I'm not gonna say he's not talented, right? We have him in our top ten shortstops for a reason. But the the worst thing that could have happened is him got, going to a contender, right? Him going back to the Astros, him going to a you know a Red Sox, right, or even Orioles, which was a rumor at one point, because then we'd have to see him, you know, Orioles maybe on the come up, right? If he goes, if he went somewhere to like the Astros, something that we're dealing with right away, he goes to the Twins. Who the fuck cares about the Twins, right? I don't I don't care about the Twins. Rob, I know you don't care about the Twins. Every time, anytime we see the Twins, anytime it's important, we beat the shit out of them. No, he's not. I mean, again, he's not doing anything in Minnesota. But but if if I'm gonna be honest, I don't care if he's a bad locker room guy on a short term deal. On a short term, on a short term, it fixes everything for me at least. 
and, and let me just fix it. I'm not. I don't know if he's a bad locker room guy. The guy just gives me bad feelings. I don't. I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Like so. He, he might be. I'm just talking about the deal. I'm talking. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. the deal. Once he yeah. transitioned over to Boris. Once he transitioned over to Boris, and it became clear mm. that the only way that Scott Boris, Daniel, we know, all three of us in here know Scott Boris is getting his money. He's getting no, his 100%. money. Right. 100%. So once it became evident that Carlos Correa is going to sign short term. We should have. We should have pushed harder. I'm fine. Look, look, look. Here's the, here's the thing. We said we, we're saying here that we're paying for Carlos Correa's contract. Josh Donaldson's getting paid 23 million. So it's 13 million dollars under what Carlos Correa is making, right? 13, you can do a lot with 13 million. Yeah, right? no, no, right? No, like, like, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm gonna like, say this. Look, I'm gonna say this. My the, the thing with Carlos Correa is not even just Carlos Correa. It's it's a it's it's a bigger frustration with the Yankee team as a whole. Sure, sure. Because Yankees, we have yeah. we can make like I've said before. Look, I'm not saying, and I want to make it clear, the Yankees this offseason, with that with that trade, with that trade in getting uh kind of Falefa and Josh Donaldson, the Yan- the Yankees got slightly better. They did, they did. Statistically, just look at it. Donaldson is a better offensive and defensive player than Gio Urshela. And and kind of Falefa, we talked about it before. He's athletic, he's he's definitely great defensively. He will handle shortstop. And 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 for his side of things, right? For his side of things, for hit for his defense, I'm gonna say this. It kind of works in the Yankees' favor a little bit because you know he's going to be a bottom of the lineup guy, right? He's going to be in that number eight or nine hole, kind of Falefa. He's going to be in that number eight or nine hole. He's not. He's not a slugging guy. He's not a slugging guy. You know that. However, yeah, can he be a guy that's hitting two eighty out here every year? Can he be a guy who puts up one hundred sixty, one hundred seventy hits on the season, like on the bottom of that lineup, which is more than we've had in recent seasons? Yeah, like. You you feel no, me? Like he'll fit so, his so, role well. Well, when it comes down to it, I'll take I'll take kind of for lesson and I'll take Donaldson over Korea, hands down. And, no, and look, I maybe get, that's I, wrong. Maybe that's wrong. And that's no, fine. I don't I, think. I, look, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Here, here's my, here's my problem with the Yankees, and I and I boiled it down to this, because I had this. I, I've been having th- these arguments with family members recently, because <laughs> you know Yankee fans, we have we have different opinions on everything, right? But here's my problem with the Yankees and the off season that they had. I'm not saying it's a bad offseason. I'm just saying y'all didn't do anything that made me feel better about the long term. Like, like in terms of it, like, look, if you're asking me this, right? And 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 obviously there's options. There's options, right? There's people that you can name. But I'm talking about people that are solidified. Solidified, right? Solidified. That you know that they're 100% going to be on the team and play that position, right? Aaron Judge, that's it. No, no, right. Like, look, if I ask you, if I ask you, if I ask you that question, give me the guy who's 100% solidified that's going to be playing that position for the Yankees, right? Who is it at catcher? Who is it at first? Who is it at second? Who is it at short? Who is it at third? Who is it in center field? Who is it after Garrett Cole in the rotation? There are a lot of question marks. That is my problem. That is my problem. A lot of those question marks remain, even if you're going to argue that we took a, a slight bump forward and the Yankees are a better team than they were going into last opening day, which I don't disagree with. There are so many question marks about the long term that it's it still makes me feel bad about the team. Sure, I, I, I look, and I don't disagree with you, man. I don't look. Once we re-signed Aaron Boone, I was like, judge, I'm not judge, care about judge, don't, judge, yeah, yeah, Aaron Judge, no, because you met not Boone. No, 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 not I met Aaron Boone. Boone. <laughs> no, once we re-signed no, Aaron no, Boone, no, no, I'm not letting you. I'm not letting you. I'm not letting you speak <laughs> that into existence. Nope. It already no, happened no. though. You got no. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> after this, after this, no, no, I'm not taking it no more. We already talked about the fact Carlos Beltran is being bought, is being brought into the booth. 
He's he's gonna be brought into closer and closer and closer and closer into the yeah, yes he's gonna network knock him out. He's gonna, until he's there's gonna a little him. opening and Carlos is gonna yeah. be like, you know what? No, bro, realistically, realistically, I wanna point this out real quick. Realistically, the MLB and the people that are reporting about the MLB, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but they are getting softer and softer and softer about the Astro scandal. It's becoming less oh, yeah, of a yeah, scandal. Yeah. Like, yo, yeah. you listen to Michael K talk about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. whenever somebody brings up, like, Carlos Correa and the cheating scandal and him potentially signing with the Yankees, he's like, who cares? Well, so, so, who cares? So who cares? If he helps the team win, who cares? Right? Hey, look, so, and so, that's so, what's going to happen with that. Beltran, potentially. Real talk about that, though. I think I think a lot of it, too, is the Yankees letter that's coming out or that's coming out. I think, I think that's going to have some yeah. plans. But, but let's keep talking about the free agents, though, because there, there was one other guy who, who's a pretty big name that signed the AL East. That was Trevor Story. Trevor yeah. Story going to Boston Red Sox. And, and we can't get on with this episode without talking about a little bit about Trevor Story. And and this is another interesting one, right? And, you know, Nick, I'll kick it off to you. I think you're the highest on Trevor Story from, from all of us, man. What did you think about Trevor Story in Boston? I think this is a great deal for everybody involved. Trevor Story is going to go kind of, I don't want to say hide out, but he's going to go not be the star on a lineup that he's been focused on for the last, I mean, his name has been in the news in every, you can't say the Rockies without Trevor Story, whether it's good or bad. And that's a big problem for a player that goes out there every day and just putting in his work and trying to be better and trying to get wins to play on a team that's not trying to win. I know wore him down. So he's going to go on a team that literally tries to win even when they shouldn't. I mean, they, the Boston Red Sox in our lifetime have some of the most miraculous sports stories in all of sports since we've been alive. And that's crazy to think that they're always going for it. So. For Trevor's story, I mean, he's going from a very hitter-friendly park average-wise in Boston to another really hitter-friendly park, and his power numbers might go through the roof, especially his doubles with the way he can do that pull-gap power on a line. But this is great because we know he's going to go to second base, and you don't hear anything from Trevor's story. Like, he's not complaining one bit. This dude just wants to go play somewhere, and Xander Bogarts is a free agent at the end of the year. So you either lock up Xander, which Boston, if you don't lock up Xander, what are you doing? All of the front office should just be fired. You need like that is that is absolutely a Red Sox guy for life. Maybe more so than it. Once you got rid of bets, it had to been Xander or nothing. But let's just say somehow Xander goes. Boston already has an all star shortstop waiting to take over. And then I don't remember who their second baseman coming up is. I know not Christian Vasquez, but they've got a guy in the in the. Is the Jeter Downs? I think they might think about him at second base. Yeah, that's not gonna be. He may not be a major. What's that? I said that's not gonna be a thing. But that's my own personal thing. But you, my bad. My bad. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was thinking out loud. No, but you're right. <laughs> don't like, mention he, Jeter Downs, man, because Daniel Daniel will have a a, a panic attack. Kind of why I brought him up. But, so <laughs> I think this is really good for the Red Sox. It puts a really good play, plan in place for the next few years. They have a backup plan for Xander, so they're not tied to having to sign him for everybody because they already have a good replacement. And let's be real, Trevor Story just puts his head down and works, and he's got a great personality. He's a great ball player. He's going to fit in very well in Boston. And nobody's going to forget about Xander if he leaves, but this is a really good backup player to bring in there. Um, from For him personally, I think this is great. He's going from a terrible lineup to a one. I, weren't they top four last year in most offensive categories across MLB? Like, they this guy's going to plug and, Yeah, this guy's going to plug and play. I mean, depending on where he ends up hitting in the lineup, and we always say, you know, assume health for the year. But assuming health, this guy might put up a 125-125 runs in RBI year. Like, that's in the possibilities. I don't think he's going to come with some crazy average or drop 50 bombs. Like, this, that's not where he's going to be his most productive. But he's going to be just a really good player in a really good lineup. 
And this just fits very well for everybody, in my opinion. This is one of the best signings of the offseason. Yeah, and, and my favorite part is the Xander Bogarts product. So Xander Bogarts actually has a, an op, a player option at the end of this year. And that coincides with one of the rules that's supposed to go into 2023, which is the fact that we're going to limit our shifting quite a bit, right? Xander Bogarts is kind of in that, in that category of shifting helps his defensive game. He's not a great defender, right? He, he gets the job done, right? I'm not going to sit out here and, and say he's bad. but He's gotten that, better, too. Yeah, yeah, he has improved. but. We know Trevor Story is way better defensively at, at the shortstop position, and now that we're getting to a point, where we're gonna have to, you know we need athletes playing the infield again. You might start looking at some of those guys that put up great numbers at shortstop, going to third base or going to other positions on the field, because you do want that 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 glove aspect back to it, right? But yo, uh, Rob, I'll kick it to you. Uh, we gotta see Trevor Story now 19 times a, a year at least. I'm personally not phased by it, but I mean, that's still a big name. He's, he's done pretty good in his career. What do, what do you think about it? Yeah, no, it, it was a good signing for Boston. I, I think, you know, I, we we heard that there were some other teams that were also in on it, like the Yankees were rumored and stuff. But I, honestly, I didn't think they were like that heavy into into signing Trevor Story. Um, yeah, with the Trevor Story thing, I think I think the most interesting thing is the Xander Bogarts part because Red Sox, whether they, they like it or not, if Xander Bogarts goes into 2022 and has a Xander Bogarts caliber season, I mean, you're, he's op, he's opting out of the contract. There's no way he stays for the remaining, I think, three years, 20 million per season. It'd be, it'd be 60 million for the next three years. Like, there's no way Xander Bogarts opts into that if he has, an, 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 you know, the caliber type of season that we know that he can have. And I think a lot of other teams are going to come, you know, at, to Xander Bogarts' door. Like, and I honestly think, look, he's not dumb, right? Like, if you look at if you look at where Xander Bogarts ranks as a player, most most years that we've done these rankings, I think every year that we've done this rankings, Xander Bogarts has ended up as a top five shortstop for us, right? So if you put yourself in that grouping and you look at the contracts that the other guys have signed, right? And you look at your Fernando Tatis contract and your Francisco Lindor contract, even even your Correa contract, you look at the AAV and stuff. We know he's not opting into that. Bogarts is probably going to go out and try to get, you know, 29, 30, 31 million a season. And there will be teams that come knocking at his door. So Boston definitely has to decide whether they want to lock him up or not. That's where story comes into the equation. But, I mean, we'll have to see because we talked about it before, too. Story's numbers, the, now we're going to see it, right? The thing about story this entire time has been, can he hit outside outside of, of being a Colorado Rocky, right? Like, we're going to see it now, and I mean, he. But at the same time, he's going to Fenway, which I think it, I think it, is, is is is. I think Fenway is is kind of ideal in a way. It's it's the type of baseball park that definitely could cover up some of his deficiencies, even even if you know he's outside of Colorado. I don't think we're going to see that crazy of a drop off from Trevor Story. I think, I think if anything, look, you you throw Trevor Story in that lineup right now. It, that that was honestly the weakest position the Red Sox had. The weakest position the Red Sox had was second base, and they filled it up <laughs> with with the guy who, like, outside, yeah, yeah, we he was in our top 10 this year, but outside of this year, our prior years, he's always been in our top five shortstops. You filled it up with with the guy of that of that caliber, you know, to play second. So the Trevor Story signing for them is great. Um, but I want to ask you guys a question, and not not don't answer it from the perspective of where of where they signed. Like, don't answer it from the perspective of situation just answer it from 
how you think they perform under the contract. Six years, 140. Who do you think does better in the under the contract? Trevor Story or Javi Baez? Javi Baez. They signed the same deal, so it's a, it's a question out there, you know? Six years, yeah. 140. They signed identical deals. It, the problem is they're not set up equally. Like, Javi Baez to the Tigers, he's still going through a rebuild. Yeah. So, like, there, yeah, it's going to be different success. If he gets them to a place where they're patern- perennial playoff team, he wins. Right. But if they don't get there, man, he's going to have to put up some numbers yeah. he's not going to have the supporting staff for. Yeah, no, I, I, because that, that's why I'm asking the question because it, it's like the, the scenarios like Javi right now is essentially is set up to be like a hero, right? Because like he he just signed that deal. We all know that like we all know that if we're asking this question two years from now, like at least Detroit Tigers fans would have other people in mind as the face of the franchise, right? Because we know that they have certain prospects coming up that are top five prospects and we know the pitching prospects that they have too. Like Detroit is set up in the prospect game to have a lot of talent coming up and, and being added, you know, infused to this team. Um, but on the, right now, you know, even when that talent comes up, Javi essentially has to, in a way, Javi essentially has to become the new Miguel Cabrera. Like if he stays in Detroit long-term, right? Like, because he will be the veteran voice in that clubhouse. Like you are a, a, a Javi finished second in MVP voting, you know, recently a couple years, a few years back. Like, you are that caliber of player. You are a, a, a all-star caliber player, superstar potential caliber player. So a lot of the young guys are going to be looking up to Javi, whereas in Trevor Story's situation, again, he can kind of more blend into the lineup, right? So I think the responsibility for Javi, the pressure for Javi in Detroit is a little bit more than than Trevor, who has a lot of the supporting cast around him already. But I don't know. I, I, I think I think Javi, look, Javi, I, we, we've talked about it before. I love Javi, but Javi, Javi has to clean up his game. Like, we saw what he can do towards the end of last season in New York. But if he cuts down on the strikeouts, and again, not, look, we can't be unrealistic, bro. Like, like you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, yo, Javi's going to strike out 50 times next season. No, like, he's not going to have that, that crazy of a, when he's striking out 200 something times. But, hey, if he can cut down his strikeouts, cut down 30 strikeouts or whatever, you know, cut it, bring it down under 200. Like, have a, have a, have a more, then slowly try to progress down or whatever, keep it in a 170 range. Because, again, certain players, are just certain kind of players, but it, it, it'll be interesting. I, I I like the fact that it turned out to be similar, you know, deals because it, it'll it'll turn out to be a good comparison, I think, in the next coming season. So with Javi and and with what the what the Tigers are doing right now, where Tigers have kind of a lot like we've seen the Dodgers do, they're kind of they look back at their infrastructure, they look back at the people who are behind the scenes, and since about 2018, 2019. They've been reinvigorating that with new people. So, for instance, the, the dude that like it is running their their MLB player development, like that dude used to be like one of the higher people up on, on like Amazon and stuff like that, right? Like they have that kind of those kind of people coming into the ballpark and and doing their thing. So, my thinking is, if they signed Javi Baez, they saw something there that was fixable, that was in his nature, right? Because you're not gonna tell a free swinger not to free swing anymore. That's the easiest way to have them hit, you know, 0.52 like Cody Bellinger is, right? Yeah, so, no. you know, they, they saw something, they saw something with buys that they, they thought, hey, like, this is worth the investment. You know, yeah. let's put our money here. Because think about it, they have a lot of guys that are coming up. Plus, they have a lot of, you know, they still got that Miguel Cabrera contact, uh, contract that's not going anywhere, right? Before we move on to our relief pitchers, there's two more guys that we, we should just at least touch on. Um, Kyle Schwarber um, and our boy Nick Castellanos, both of those guys signed with Phillies. Man, look, as as dangerous as that lineup looks, these where do these guys fit, man? Like, it, like let's be honest, where where do they fit? Like, yes, we have the DH now, 
but you also have an aging you have an aging Harper who was defensively bad last year by the metrics. You have Nick Castellanos who has never had a position because he's been, you know, bad defensively pretty much everywhere. He's probably gonna play left field, let's be honest. Kyle Schwarber, not really known to have a glove anywhere, right? You, you still have Riz Hoskins. You have Alec Baum, who's um, you know, rooms are he's on a trade block in the Dave Jombowski, the, the way that he does things usually. That that pitching staff still really isn't something to, to you know, aside from their first two guys. Man, what do you guys think about those two signings? Uh Rob, I'll start with you. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I uh, I agree and disagree. I, I, I do see where they fit a little bit in that lineup. Um, Philly, I just think it, it, it's a situation where you really don't pay too much attention to the Philly lineup, right? I don't think I don't think the Philly lineup is the part in Philly that we're most worried about. And I think that's why the Schwarber and Castellano signing kind of stick out. Because I think, I think, like you just said, right, I... I I kind of want Philly to make a bigger investment in their starting pitching um, towards the bottom end, because obviously we know, look, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, two studs to have at the top of your rotation for sure. Um, but if Philly could add like another bona fide starter, if they definitely add some more work to their bullpen, like it, it'd be, it'd be definitely a, a great thing for them. I, I, that's why I think honestly, the, the offensive signings kind of stick out, but you know, I, I'm not really going to fault them because I think they weren't, crazy contracts to get invested into i i mean i don't think i don't think they were right like we we've talked about it a bunch of times right like jd jd martinez jr for nick castellanos he ended up signing a similar deal to what jd signed in boston jd signed five for 110 castellanos signed five for 100 in in, in philly right i think look i think it comes down to to philly philly is kind of that team that's at the point where it's like okay there's money to spend and these guys are kind of better than what we have. So let's kind of sign them. Right. Like I, like that's where I see Philly. I, I don't, I don't think the Phillies kind of have made moves that have like necessarily put them over the top for me, but I do think that they've made moves that they see as improvements. Like, you know, it's better than what we have. So like, let's try to move forward with it. I think, look, Castellanos, Castellanos could be a great supporting bat. I don't, I, I think on Philly's end, I think they kind of see it too as, they might have some inconsistencies, right? I don't think that you can necessarily rely 100% on someone like Reese Hoskins or someone like Alec Baum yet around a Bryce Harper in that lineup. Maybe they see Castellanos as a more reliable bat, right? Schwarber, we know Schwarber is going to be the DH. Like, hey, they're that they're paying Schwarber for what Schwarber is. They're paying Schwarber to hit. They if we're gonna if we're gonna be honest, they probably they, they expect Schwarber to hit 30 home runs a season, and that's it. Like if Schorber gives them that, then it's kind of like the benefit that they were looking for. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's gonna. I think it's a nice boost for them, I, I, at least in their lineup. I don't think it's moves that ne- moves that necessarily put them over the top, but I don't think that's that they're moves that necessarily drag them down either. Yeah, no, man. Look, I think that's gonna be the look. That's probably the best support Bryce Harper has had in his career. Like, yeah, he played for with Juan Soto for a little bit, but Juan Soto was like eighteen, bro. So this is definitely the best protection Bryce Harper's ever had in a lineup. Nick, what do, you, what do you think about these two guys? Obviously, no defense involved in any of these signings, but um, where do you think Philly's at after this? I mean, might as well call them the Philly Funds because <clears throat> it's not going to be – I mean, it's going to be painful to watch when they're running out there in the outfield. <clears throat> I mean, this is exactly what they needed, which was outfielders that could hit, but they need so much that, like, I mean, good job. You filled the need. You filled two needs. Like, And honestly, the signings themselves are really, really good. Kyle Schwarber 
might be a leadoff hitter that drops 50 bombs. Like, he might be that guy. He was on that pace last year. They have four guys projected to hit 30 home runs plus. Like, what lineup has that? This is going to be a fun team to watch, and they really might be averaging 10 runs a game for a month at some point in the year because it's just got that kind of pop. But then when you go in and look at it, you still have Gene Segura and Didi Gregorius up the middle, and you're still playing Alec Baum, who has underperformed. I mean, this is going to be a fun team. The The one thing that I'll say for the Phillies that I think is getting very much overshadowed, they re- they did a really good job in their bullpen. Signing Corey Kniebel, signing, getting Jose Alvarado last year, signing Ulysses Familia, signing Brad Hand. Like, yes, you can obviously say these guys are past their prime, and they probably are. None of them are really that 40-save guy, but they all also could be closers on a lot of teams and you also have Sam Coonrod down there who's never got a real closing opportunity, but he's got some filthy stuff. I saw him up close and personal with the Giants a few years ago. I mean, they've got – they literally have five or six <clears throat> potential closers on this team. I'm not saying you're going to go put them in the White Sox and they're going to be in the top three. Uh, hint, hint for a future part of this episode. But, like, these guys still, they're much better than what they had last year. And their starting staff – I'm sorry. I'm a fan of all of these guys. I do think that Aaron Nola can be a true ace. Zach Wheeler, as much as I don't want him to be, has shown that he can be a true ace. Kyle Gibson had literally the best ERA in all of baseball last year, playing in Texas for the first half of the year. Ranger Suarez has come out of nowhere to be an absolute potential stud. And Zach Eflin shows flashes of being really good. Like He shows some flat. He can go three or four starts in a row and put up an ERA that's under four. If you've got that out of your fifth starter, that's not bad. It's not what you want. It's not the Dodgers. It's not the Giants, but that is a really good starting staff, top to bottom, one through five. They just all have to play to their capabilities, and that's the problem with the Phillies, in my opinion. Even after these signings, you need everybody to play to your capabilities to compete in the in the NL East, and yeah. that's a tough spot to be in as a fan or as a franchise. Is You did a good job of signing big guys that can do big things, and you still need everybody to play their to their capacity. You really can't have anybody take the year off. Not to say take the year off, but if anybody has a down year, this is just another Phillies year where they're just going to muddle around and they're going to go through 75% of the season playing for first place and then end up in fourth. Yeah, it, you know, look, that NL East is a – I think it's the best division in baseball when we really look at it, right? Um, Think about it. They've had the World Series winners, you know, two out of the last three World Series, two of them which were the real ones, and then that one that was kind of if that 60 game went to another – division but still right and at least uh, everyone got better you could even argue the Marlins got better um but great nick great segue into our relief pitcher segment um we have about 20 minutes left in the show and that's way too much time for what we're about to talk we won't about. need it yep <laughs> i like man so i'm just gonna straight up give you the list we, we decided just to go with five um you know, things to know about the relief, the, the relief, the bullpen game. We decided to go with bullpens instead of just individual relief pitchers. Reason why is relievers are, are very inconsistent, very inconsistent. You have guys putting up ridiculous numbers one year, and then the next year they're getting hit around like they're fifth graders. So instead of going through that mess, what we decided to do is we're going to pick our top five bullpens We'll also touch on some individual guys, right? We know guys like Josh Hader deserve their praise, right? Guys like Liam Hendricks, they deserve their praise. So, you know, it's not like we're avoiding them and saying, screw them, we're just going to do bullpens. But 
usually an overall bullpen is a way better way to gauge the value of that unit than, than a couple of pieces. So let's go with our top five. At number five, the Yankees. Number four, the Giants. Three, the Dodgers. Two, the Rays. And coming in first, the Juggernaut, that is the Chicago White Sox, who when we talk about names, man, do they have some. But, Nick, we'll go back to you, man, because you are the pitching guy here. Thoughts of thought, thoughts of our top five, right? And, and what were things that you were looking at for the bullpen? So, honestly, I was just looking at – I was looking at the stats as a team. But to your point, I mean, let's be honest. The reason we're doing team bullpens is because of the Tampa Bay Rays. They're, they are the reason. Yes, we can go th- – we can still go through and pick out relievers. And we'll all have this one guy that we pick out that nobody's heard of. And he's probably going to be on the race. Like, let's be real here. Like, that whole bullpen does so much better than they should. And I'm not talking, like, a little bit better. We're talking, like, these guys are locking it down. And nobody knew of Andrew Kittredge last year. Nobody knew of Pete Fairbanks. Nobody knew of J.P. Frierson. Like, these guys are just, you don't know about them. And even if you watch baseball a lot, you still might not know about them. And they all have whips under one. They all have ERAs under three. The Rays just know how to do this with the bullpen every single year. And the crazy part is there's I, I've had a good joke with some friends in the past. Like if the Rays trade away a player, you don't want them to be traded to your team. They just they seem to know when that player is going to go not just like down, but off a cliff. A great example, Emilio Pagan last year going from the Rays to the Padres. This dude was arguably the best reliever in baseball in 19 and 20. He goes over the Padres and he just shits the bed. He can't beat, beat out Mark Melanson for closing. His home run rate goes through the roof. His walk rate goes through the roof. So the Rays really are the reason. And the only reason that they're not the number one team for me, because they weren't, is the names that are on the White Sox is just, I mean, when you've got Craig Kimbrell sitting as your setup guy, what are you doing with your life? And then they have other guys in there like Aaron Bummer that not a lot of people have heard about, Garrett Crochet. Ronaldo Lopez, a failed starter, that can be your swingman. He can go in there. I mean, he throws hard with some filth. So if you need him to come in and get a ground ball, he's a good guy for that. They picked up Vince Velasquez, which is basically just a toss-in at this point. Like, that's a good guy to have in there that you don't ever really need. That's a good guy to have there. And then they picked up Kendall Graveman. So they've got three closers. Like, they literally have three lockdown closers in their bullpen, and they have other guys that are really, really good too. So I like the way this played out. Um, I mean, it's literally the exact same order that I had the top five. Um, honorable mention to Atlanta, especially after picking up Kenley Jansen. Um, I mean, when you look at the names and you look at some of the numbers overall with the Braves, you don't really put them up there maybe. But when, to see what they did under pressure last year and to see how those guys thrived when it really needed it, um, that was pretty intense. So they, they, were in my, they were in my number six. And then just one guy to talk about who went from the Angels to the Mets. He's not really going to talk about a lot, but he was literally the best pitcher last year when it comes to stuff plus, which is a stat that an analyst, uh, Eno Saris, uses. And it's his way of measuring movement, both up and down and sideways, along with spin rate. He puts a lot of advanced analytics just to kind of, he tries to model the actual stuff of a pitcher. And Aaron Loop, a reliever that's on the Mets now, was the top guy in baseball last year. He's not going to ever be a closer. He's not going to have a lot of big name, but he came from the Rays. So, you know, he's got some good stuff. Um, that would be the only name that's not going to be called out later on this episode is Aaron Loop. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on if you really, if you like relief pitching, that's the guy to look at because that's like your, that is your relief pitcher that's not a closer. Nobody knows his name. He does really, really good for a couple of years. He gets moved around, but he's just really good when he's on the mound. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, 
with the with the Rays, right? Even even you know, we have to look through the depth charts to see who's on that team, right? Because they have so much interchangeability, like you mentioned, at the relief pitcher position, and e- even going through them, right? Like, yeah, there's some names that you might that you might notice, right? And and Andrew K- Kittredge, he's been around. Pete Fairbanks, he's been around, especially the last couple of years. After that, though, like you're kind of just you're just throwing names into a blender and saying, let's see who throws 99 plus, right? So, you know, with the Rays, it doesn't matter who's out there. You expect them to do well, right? You know they're going to be throwing fire. You know they're going out there and be successful. But you just don't know who that guy's going to be. So it's more of a systematic kind of thing with that bullpen where it's just it doesn't matter what their name is. Someone's going to go out there. Someone's going to throw 99 to 101. They're going to get outs, and they're going to be something that we'll remember for Six months, we'll never talk about them ever again in their lifetime. But for this for this nine-month period, the the Rays knew that they were going to get the most out of them for, for that small part, right? Um, yo, Rob, I'll kick it over to you, man. What are your thoughts on this uh, bullpen list? Uh, yeah, the bullpen, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of good names. I mean, I, I, think, I think we use the Tampa Bay Rays as an example of, of you know what what a bullpen should be and and why we're doing this as a bullpen list but if you if you look at it that that example of the Tampa Bay Rays has kind of spread out throughout the league right like think think about it Kenley Kenley Jansen signed with the, with the with the Braves right how many people from the Dodgers bullpen can you name like not that not that many not Four. that many like I mean like I can I can name I can name some right but I'm talking about like casually right like how many people from the Giants bullpen can you name? Like it, like that are actually like standout names. Um, no, but I mean like standout names. Y'all know, y'all know it's not. It's, it's yeah. If you're not watching zero. baseball every day and you're not yeah. really looking at the stuff, you, yeah, you're close, not gonna say any names. It's close to zero. Like the Giants, oh, the, the San Francisco Giants have like almost nobody in their bullpen that has been a closer Between before the, anything like, like that. You don't even get Taylor Rogers right. You call him Tyler Rogers, his brother from the Twins. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. yeah, like it's like it's like it's like if we look at who our number one is with the White Sox, they have a crap ton of names that have been closers yeah. before and everything that everyone knows, like Kimbrel Hendricks, like even Graven at this point, who's already put it like he had like, he's had like what the last two or three solid seasons in, in what was it? Houston and Seattle as well. Like, so yeah, we look, we know Chicago's one. Um, I don't know that. Honestly, I don't know that Chicago remains complete by the end of the year. Right. Cause we have, we have had Kimbrough. rumors that, Kimbrough might get moved or, or something like that. So we'll, we'll have to see it. And I, I think they definitely do try to do that because I think Chicago is also the type of organization that um, kind of puts more value than some on their young pitching. I think we've seen them, um, you know, keep bringing up a lot of their their younger guys with Kopech and finally uh, Dylan Cease. And you're starting to see a lot of the names that we've been talking about in recent years kind of come up. So I, I think they probably do try to get something for Kimbrough back and then give another one of their young guys a chance in the bullpen. Um Y'all mentioned Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is where it is because, again, all all of their guys, any one of their guys could pretty much leave Tampa Bay and get offered a closer's role somewhere, right? They they are they are a Swiss Army knife. Like they they are they are any one of their guys can come in and and do well in a in a game. For the Dodgers, I think it's going to be interesting to see where where they are without Kenley, right? I I know Dodgers fans have had their complaints about Kenley, but I think. What it would leave Blake Trinan, right? Would probably take over as closer. Um, we yeah. saw him. We saw a little shades of like Oakland uh, Blake Trinan uh, last year, which was a good bounce back for him because we know that uh, he did have that injury uh, in Oakland that kind of messed him up a little bit. 
So, hey, it, it, it's definitely a good potential there. We know the potential that they have in guys like Ruther, uh, Ratterall, um, who I did, did do think he had a little bit of elevated numbers last season. Um, but we know the potential that they have there. And um, the Giants, the Giants are kind of similar. Like they have they have a lot of guys. I look at the Giants as like a minier version of like Tampa Bay. They have a lot. They have a lot of guys who are putting up their numbers. Um, and like like Nick said, like Tyler Rogers is like is like main one, like underarm, like yo, it's like it's like Chad Bradford out here, you know? Like it's like it's it, it's a good thing to watch for him. And and the Giants is definitely that team that you have to see kind of like stand out uh, bullpen wise. I think I think the Giants. A lot of people are kind of relying on the Giants to put it all together again, right? And it's it's going to be one of those main pieces that has to fall together for them. Their bullpen has to come together again. Their pitching has to come together again. Their lineup has to come together again um, to kind of replicate what last season was because it's kind of like that situation where like a lot of people already are like, oh, the Giants might be third in the division, right? Where I think I think the Giants did show that, that they do deserve a, a little bit more respect going into next year. And we'll definitely dive into that in our next episode. Um, and, you know, for the Yankees, look, they're right there at five. Uh, I think it's it's similar situation where you kind of need all the guys to like hit their potential. Um, I will say they they have they have made some underrated trades that have kind of worked out for them for the reasons that they made the trade. Ironically, like I wasn't a fan of the Wandy Peralta trade just just because like I just wasn't like it, it. I didn't think it was like a necessary name for the bullpen, but hey. The guy put a sub three ERA here in New York after we got him from the Giants and they kind of got him to be kind of like that lefty specialist. Um, and then another guy that they traded for, Clay Holmes from from the Pittsburgh Pirates, who um, the day I remember the day that they traded for him, Brian Cashman had made comments about how he has specifically made the trade because of his sinker. Right. Like he could he could get a lot of hitters to to ground out and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that did play out in the way that he kind of wanted it to. Um, Araldis Chapman probably i don't remember the numbers exactly but i think probably had his worst statistical season um as a closer last year i don't know what to tell you bro like it, like i think we've talked about it before but i think i think look if if jonathan loisinger has another season this this year how he did last year i think the yankees start to think about moving on from araldis chapman like honestly i don't think that araldis chapman has necessarily shown to be like a, a framework of reliability in the Yankees bullpen, right? Like, I, I I think he makes he makes my hands start to shake, you know. Sometimes when I'm watching the games and and, and he comes in, um, but but again, I, I think that's just that Daniel, you know, that also comes from us being spoiled, right? Like, we're not in the era of having Mariano Rivera's anymore, where a guy is going to be an elite closer for a team for 15 plus seasons. Like, we're not in that era anymore. So I I, I think that's why I'm I'm, I'm we're, we as Yankee fans are definitely like more critical to whoever's holding that closer role right um because of the standard that we had before but um yeah i i, I honestly look and i was one of you know that i was one of the people that was out here bashing jonathan loisica but it it was for one of the reasons that that he fixed i just did not think that jonathan loisica had good control of his stuff i never questioned his stuff we know he can throw 97 98 99 like we know he has great stuff i'm just saying the guy was like out of control out here just he wasn't confident in in, in 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 his ability to control his pitches. This season he came out and almost posted a sub two ERA. Like, like, yes, this season he showed confidence, but you have to build from that, right? Like, I'm not that's why I'm not saying, like, hey, next year make him the closer. I'm saying if he shows you consistency, if he gives you another season or two of showing that, then yeah, it might be time for the Yankees to and, and also he's just younger, right? Like, I think Loisic is like 25 or 26. Chapman's already like in his 30s. So it's it's gonna get to a point where the Yankees probably do try to look for a new closer. Um, 
and and it, and it, honestly, if we're gonna if we're gonna be real with all of these bullpens, it's interesting because if you look at New York, if you look at if you look at the Giants, if you look at at LA, if you look at Tampa Bay, and if you look at the White Sox, two years from now, every single one of those teams can have a different closer. Like then 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 who then who's in that role today? You know, because that's how that's how much talent these teams have in in those bullpens that it's kind of just like uh it's kind of just like okay bye it's time to move on Here, here's the ball you're the new closer right Nothing, these five teams that we're really looking at i don't think we're going to see many of them out there trying to make super super big splashes um on the reliever market maybe not in the, in these next two years um because i think they do just have that much talent in their bullpens currently so i i, I think it's going to be good to see you know the one thing to look at with all these bullpens is the state of bullpens today is, is at a different place than it was you know, traditionally, right? Where it's no longer about having guys that are veterans back there, guys that have gotten the job done for for you know five seven seasons. Yeah. You know, it's really about how can we how can we use a fireball for for a season, right? Like the one thing that you see with the and, and you know I was hesitant originally to put the Yankees in in you know as high as they are, right? But the one thing that they're doing is similar to Tampa Bay, similar to, um, you know, the Dodgers, similar to some of these other teams is they started stacking up those guys that throw fire. You know, the Yankees yeah. have a few guys that throw over 100 plus in that um, in that system. Right. We've seen it this spring training where you've got a few guys. Throwing the guy that they the, the guy that they just traded for um, in the Luke Boyd trade. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The guy that they got from San Diego. Right. He throws yeah, like he's one oh two. Yep, one hundred two has no control of it. But yeah, we all no, for sure. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we all. <laughs> yo, th this works out perfectly because remember before the show, I told you I was gonna have a hot take about the. Oh bullpen, yeah, we need right? to hear. Okay, what, 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 what's okay, the, okay. This, yo, yo hold up. before we do this, yo, yo, um, Abe, we're gonna have you make a. It has to be an intro of hot takes by <laughs> Rob, and we need a no, whole, like song for it. We need a, we need a lead up for it. You might you might not. Have, I just want to see where you stand on this as a Yankee okay. fan because All I'm right. telling you, this is look, this is just a wild take, man. This this. This is this isn't even a take that's gonna impact our season. It's just something that me as a fan, as an emotional Yankee fan, I would love to happen. Because look, here's the reality. I think the Yankees have a lot of pitching prospects in their in their in their uh organization that are gonna benefit, you know, not only coming up through the system, but I think at the major league level, at least on spring training level, right? Look, Matt Blake, right? I think Matt Blake is deserves credit. I think Matt does, Blake does. has a lot of people, like, I am I shit on the Yankees rotation, right? It's more because I have question marks of stability. I don't know who I'm supposed to look at as number two, number three, number four, right? But right. do they, ha they have Montgomery, who was solid last season. They have Severino, who we know how he can be when he's healthy. Like, they have, you know, who, whoever else. Uh, Tyone's going to be in there. Nestor Cortez might be our number five this year. Who knows, right? Sure. Like, Matt Blake has done a lot of work with the pitching. In that sense... I wish that the Yankees would give a minor league contract to Dylan Batances. We should bring right, Dylan right. Batances back, okay? We should bring Dylan Batances back, and we should just see if Matt Blake can just can fix, him. can fix him. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? I'm not just doing it completely from an emotional sense. I'm doing it from looking at what he's done with the Yankees recently. Because if you look at another prime candidate who came back from injury, Lucas Lucky, right? This yeah. past season for New York. Yo, 
He posted a, a, a what, what, what? He almost had like, like a three, some, low three ERA, Miami. I think it was, or two, two something. Yeah. Like he was really solid for us this year, right? And I think we've seen, and we, and not for nothing, we saw a lot of names go through that bullpen, right? Be it for injury, be it for COVID, be it yeah. for whatever it was, right? We saw a lot of those names come through that bullpen, and we didn't see any name really go through like a crazy amount of struggle. We saw a lot of young guys come up from the, from the minors, you know, get some working with Matt Blake and everything like that. We know all the hype that that. Matt Blake received, you know, under the Cleveland organization and things like that. Mm. So I'm saying that mixed with my emotional <laughs> standpoint as a Yankee fan, I'm just like, bruh, I would love, I, I, that would be a huge comeback story for me. If the Yankees well, gave Dylan Batanza a minor league deal and dude showed any sign of life, because we know, bro, we know, we know Dylan, bro, Dylan was like my guy. Dylan was like, <laughs> I, I I, have more confidence in Dylan Batances than I do around this Chapman. Like when Dylan was on for the Yankees, like he, he was the best reliever. He was the best reliever in New York. I, I, like I loved him more than Andrew Miller, more than more than Chapman yeah. when we had the three of them. Like Who just retired, by the way. Andrew Miller just yeah, retired. For real. Shouts out to Andrew Miller, though, who was elite for many franchises. Like, yo. Like the only reliever last year, or the only pitcher I'd never want to see on the mound ever again was Andrew Heaney, and he's like the number oh. five for, for the Dodgers right now. So <laughs> yeah. they got their own problems. Yeah, I'm now not, like, I'm not so, worried about that. So just to keep it on, on the reliever episode too, the one name that wasn't on this top five um, was the Milwaukee Brewers. However, yeah. what we know is the Milwaukee Brewers have possibly the, if we were doing these individual, I think we would. Is it safe to say Josh Hader's all going to be our number one? If this was the yeah. individual episode, yeah, yeah, and they would probably have top two relievers if you throw in Devin Williams in there, yeah, like yeah. a top top two, like two guys in the top ten, like if we yeah. were doing top ten relievers, yeah. So how you know Milwaukee, it, they were close to the top five, right? But we just want to make sure we talk about Josh Hader a little bit. Josh Hader is probably the most consistent guy that we can consider. He's not technically a closer; he's a situational guy that they come in and at in, in high leverage situations. But he's probably the best at his job at that. Right, we've seen him in the playoffs more than anything, where he comes in, maybe the fifth inning, and he takes down, you know, two, three, four that inning, and, and you know, so Josh Hader definitely deserves a shout out to this. Um, you know, the Braves, Braves had have some uh, like last year, you can say that the Braves bullpen might have overachieved at times. At the end of the day, they did what they had to do to win the World Series, and, and that's kind of all you really can ask for, right? Um, you know, other bullpens to mention. You know, look out for the for the Cardinals bullpen. They have Jordan Hicks coming back full time, right? They have a, a whole bunch of fire throwers in that in that bullpen as well. So you know, it, it's hard to get excited about a bullpen episode, man. But I think we did a I think we did as good of a job as we could talking about bullpen yeah. for for twenty minutes. Yeah, no, it, it was solid, dude. Look, I, I and a quick thing about Hater that that's the the real reason why I didn't put Milwaukee higher was because I don't think Josh Hader is a Milwaukee Brewer for much longer. Like I, I think Milwaukee just has to get to the point where they move him because it, look, he's been he's he's been there for five years. He's going into year six, right? He has one year of arbitration left. Are they going to pay him? Like no, like no, it, do, does Milwaukee no. think they're that they're they're that built because he's gonna go into free agency year in his year thirty season, right? But we know that if he posts Josh Hader numbers, he's going to get paid. You know, if you look at comparable contracts, a Kenley Jansen or an Araldis Chapman. Yeah. Some team out there will probably give him a five-year deal at, at maybe a, a $20 million AAV, $100 million contract for five years, if he keeps up his numbers. You know, like they, some team out there will pay for Josh Hader like that. 
But uh, uh, yeah, I don't think Milwaukee's going to be that team. That's why I don't, I don't know if if he's going to be there long term, which is why I don't have that, you know, more more confidence than I should in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, no, d- definitely, man. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors of him being the next uh, Met target. Well, we'll, Yo, we'll if someone if someone's going to max out a closer, if someone's going to max out a closer, it's probably going to be Steve Cohen. So, hey. Cohen will max out anybody. All right, man, look, so before we get out of here, yo, Nick, do you have anything you want to leave us with? Any nuggets? No, man, I mean, as far as <clears throat> bullpens to take a look at, Seattle Mariners, they don't really have too many big names. They've been real quiet up there, but their bullpen was really good last year, and they were that was the main reason that they were in the playoff hunt for so long was once you got past the sixth inning, it was pretty shut down. And it's almost a Tampa Bay race situation where they're just going to put whoever the hot hand is and just throw everybody out there. But the, the Seattle Mariners is a good one. They were number five in whip as a bullpen and they were number three or number four in ERA. And yeah, ERA is a classic stat and you can go into some other, you know, analytics that don't favor the Mariners, but when it comes down to it, what's the job of the bullpen? Don't let runners score. I think left on base, they were number three in baseball where they shut down runners from not getting to home plate that they inherited. And <clears throat> that's exactly what a bullpen should be. So watch out for the Seattle Mariners. They could have a really good run this year based off that because the, the AL West did get a lot worse. The Angels got better just by health, but there's not really a big name that anybody has to prepare for. And they're the Angels, so something's going to happen. I mean, it's just going to happen. Something's going to happen where they're not going to be that good. But, I mean, the Astros are still good, but they did get a little worse. The A's are getting a lot worse. So the Mariners have a really good shot this year, and that bullpen is going to come around real nice. Other than that, I mean, yeah, individual guys, Liam Hendricks deserves some shout-out. Like, yes, Hayter is our number one, probably all of our number one. But Hendricks somehow has put himself right there. He had a better year last year in a lot of metrics. Those two are the one-two. And the cool thing about seeing these guys one-two is the fact that they've both been there for a few years now. Typically with relievers, as Rob said in the very beginning, as Daniel said, like they just fall off from year to year. It's such a roller coaster. You can't really... You can, you know, you can't really trust anybody. These two guys, you can trust for the last two, three years and going forward. So, not really a lot of fun to talk about relievers, just because it's so volatile and there's so many names that you just don't know that end up being really, really good. It's for me, it's it's not as much fun because you want to expect who's going to be good because you want to feel like you have a good idea of what's going on in the game. And in the relief world, you can't ever predict this shit. The only people in the whole world that can predict this are the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and it looks like it. By the way, Angels are officially the AL Mets. Right, you know how there's a Met tax. There's also an Angel oh, tax. If, if you, and that started not, before not the Daniel Met tax, taxing, I think. Man. <laughs> Daniel became a lawyer and started taxing way too many teams out here. Man. I'm just saying, it, yo, you wear those uniforms. You're hey, Artie Moreno legit sold his soul in 2002 for that World Series. That's all I know. <laughs> yo, they right, out here right. spreading conspiracy theories, man. Yo, this hey, is tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. It's going to get crazy. <laughs> and nah, man, look, but, but, but for real, we're going to get out of here. Um... We're, we're never going to mention a relief pitcher ever again unless they do something cool. We just, we're just not, just not, not, not the same kind of impact. Now we're just kidding. They deserve their credit because without them, trust me, a lot of us would be very angry fans come October, but yeah. Hey, we're getting out of here. Um, you'll be hearing about our DHs pretty soon. See you guys next time. Thank you everybody for listening to diamond talk. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up at diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. That's diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. To catch up on our old episodes, or if you want to check out the rest of the awesome pods that we have under the SSAW network, head to our website at tssaw.com and do not forget to subscribe. See you all next week and we'll catch you on the field.